You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Good to see you in the Lord's house. 1 Corinthians, we're trying to close out this book. We may get through it one day. Uh, this letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. You know, sometimes when we sing songs, like even the song a moment ago, uh, I, I wonder how many of us have had the opportunity to see what we would be, what we would consider to be a true miracle. And, you know, I told you one time that I and two of our pastors, uh, two of our African pastors in Zimbabwe had asked me to go with them to pray over a young nine-year-old boy that was very sick. And we went to this home it was there in Chitanguiza. It was in a particular area, a uh, high-density area. We went into this home. This woman, uh, this woman brought her nine-year-old boy in to us to pray for him. He was just the skeletal remains of a nine-year-old boy. His feet were actually fallen because he had been in, in a comatose state for so long. His feet were pointed straight out. Anybody that understands when the brain is dead, when the brain no longer functions, and people are, quote, what we would consider to be in a vegetative state, their brain's not working anymore, they basically, you do therapy. I had a friend of mine whose little boy drowned. They brought him back too, but he was in the same state. So we would have to do therapy on his five-year-old son, pushing his feet up, forcing, massaging, working his feet, working his legs, straightening, moving his arms because he was in this state, a comatose state where brain, the brain has quit. It's not cognitive anymore. It's not working. And my thought was that, you know, the boy, the, there's no hope. And you've heard me tell this story for some of you. And I was trying to figure out in my head, I wasn't thinking about praying for healing, for a miracle what we were singing a moment ago. I was praying and I was thinking about where we needed to get him. In other words, we need to get him into some kind of institution that will provide basic care for him until he biologically dies. So that was me. Mufundis Jaina, Pastor Jaina, Mufundis Nube, and they click, his name means monkey, Nube. Uh, Mufundis Nube and Mufundis Jaina were, uh, they, they laid this nine-year-old skeletal remains of this little boy who was still alive, but in my opinion, brain dead, who was drawn up like this, and his feet were out like that. And they began to pray over him. Now, I'm, not, I, I'm praying, but I'm not believing at all. I'm basically trying to figure out what to do with him. In the course of, of, of going through that, um, they wept and cried and prayed as if they believed a miracle could be done. My knowledge, my intellect, my intellect told me that it was impossible. And you've heard me tell this story, but, you know, a year later, year and a half later, I'd say about a year later, we, would, we were showing the Jesus film in Chitanguiza. And so I'm changing out these big reels and, and getting ready to put the next reel on and getting ready to thread it. And while I do that, something brushes the back of my leg and I turn around and I see this kid walking with a slight limp and he's chasing this other kid. 
And, and I took a double take and I stopped and I'm holding. We probably got, we probably got over a thousand people gathered there. And I'm holding this reel. They're waiting for the next reel to be loaded to watch the Jesus film. And I said to Mufundus, I said, Mufundus, what's that? And he said, ah, Baba. He said, that's the little boy that we prayed for. He is healed. He has a slight limp, but he's perfectly normal back in school and doing fine. This child, I know this. I was, a, I was a field medical officer. I worked with an ambulance service for years. This child was clinically, I know, had a doctor looked at him and said he was, this child was brain dead. He was in a vegetative state. We serve a God of miracles. And when we sing these songs, sometimes we need to think back in our mind of those moments. I consider the death of your mom, Debbie, to be a supernatural act of God, to bring family, everybody in, to speak personally to them and then die not long after that. It was just somebody that had Jesus saying, okay, let you bring in who you got to bring in. She kept bringing people in, bringing people in. She'd think of something else, bring them back in on her deathbed, and then after that she died. God is a God of miracles, and I don't know what miracle you need today, but I can tell you that that's the God that we serve. Now let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16 because we're going to pick up, let's pick up at verse 12. Last week we looked at this young man by the name of Timothy. But verse 12, Paul said, Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quiet, unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Everybody look this way. If you go back and remember, if you go back to the first chapter, chapter 1, 2, and 3, Paul talked about the church at Corinth being divided. He said, some of you say you're Paul. Paul, some of you are following Peter. He said, some of you are following Apollos. I believe that Apollos refused to go back to Corinth because it had caused division and schism in the leadership. And so Paul said he's not willing to come at this time. Now let's pick up and read a little bit farther because I titled this message Principles for a Great Life, Part 1. In verse 12, now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Now verse 13, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong do everything in love. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you and we love you. And we give you glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Steve Taylor wrote a book years ago. It was called The Alpha Predator. In fact, one of our Zimbabwe teams, when a team of our men went to Zimbabwe, Africa, I gave a copy of this book and we all read this book that was written. Steve Taylor was a missionary uh, and a friend of mine in Zimbabwe, he served among the Tonga people along the Zambezi River. He served in a very, very primitive area. It looked like what you would see if you were watching an old TV or an old movie or a documentary about wildlife in Africa. It was a very dangerous place. Steve Taylor said that uh, one time there were a group of college students from South Africa who had come up. And they were being led by a safari guide. And Steve said he knew they were on the other side of the river. And he could see them camping. The safari guide looked at these three college students, young men. And he said, now, let me tell you, in a little while, we're getting ready to go to our tents. 
And when you go to your tent, make sure that you put your tent near the fire. Let's all stay close together, right in here, tight around the fire, because, and we'll keep the fire going through the night. Because during the night, the lions will come through. Steve said he learned later, and I know it's cold. Do we need to cut the air up a little bit? If we do, uh, David, you look like the man to do it. If you, if, can you check these thermostats? Jeffrey's, Jeffrey's peeking in the door going, <laughs> you only have one more song. Just cut it up just a little bit. It's probably on 68 knowing these guys. But anyway, just cut it up a couple degrees. Maybe that'll cut it off at least. But anyway, Steve Taylor said that um, during the night he, saw that he heard all this screaming and all this commotion at where these college students were camping out. And you may want to check this other one over here, David. I'm not sure which one of these work. But uh, he said he was watching. He found out later that one of the college students who refused to listen took his tent and camped away from the fire, wanted to be by himself out there, away from the group, away from the fire, and out away from the rest of the people. During the night when the lions came through, the lions went, and they also said, zip up your tents. Now, let me tell you, we stayed in a place uh, when we were in Africa where Doug Payne and I were in, a, in this kind of a building, thing, but it had canvas walls, and Doug Payne will tell you that the lions came through at 3, 3.30 in the morning and rubbed up against that canvas wall. But anyway, this lion, these lions went in, pulled this college student out of his tent and completely dismembered him and killed him. Now, I say all that to say this. A lot of times things happen in our life because we're negligent. We don't listen. Um, and I think of another. We had a missionary whose son went on, who married a girl in Zimbabwe, and he, she was the daughter of a preacher. They were on their honeymoon. They were in tall grass that next morning in a place called Monopools, I believe. It's where you can camp in the area of the animals. They came up on a Cape Buffalo, and uh, this young man screamed to his brand-new bride, Run! Well, she ran, and the next thing you heard was her screaming. He turned to see this Cape Buffalo throw her up in the air and then kill her right there. And you may say, well, why are you telling us all these sad stories? Because let me tell you, as a pastor, I've counseled a lot of people who turn their back for a moment on the enemy. I've counseled a lot of people who have had things happen in their life because even accidents, because they became distracted just for a moment. So Paul is closing his letter with what I believe are principles to uh, sound living. Every parent, these are good to teach your kids. And he, he uses imperatives here. He gives commands. It's, he's using his apostolic authority here. And so look at verse 13. Paul said, first of all, do what? Be on your what? Say it. Be on your guard. You may have be alert. Be watchful. Be vigilant. Be aware. Albert Barnes said of this, he said if, about the Corinthians, he said, if a, listen to this, if a Christian would be secure, he must be on his guard. Eugene Peterson in the message said, keep your eyes open. Hold tight to your convictions. Give it all you've got. Be resolute. But I like that. Keep your eyes open. 
Well, let me ask you something. Is that hard to do today? Is it hard to be vigilant, to be on guard, to be aware? I want want you to listen closely. I think technology has distracted us. Let me tell you, Paul was saying, listen, you can't be distracted. You've got to be aware of your surroundings. You've got to be alert because you and I have a spiritual enemy. And, and I said it even on Facebook last night. I, I, just, I just thought about it. And I wanted to say to parents, your enemy, Satan, does not wait till your child reaches a level of maturity, the age of accountability kind of grows up a little bit before your enemy attacks your child. There, Listen, there's no moral, ethical boundary with your enemy. Satan has a bullseye on your child from the moment they take their first breath. Your enemy, the devil, is going after your children. Parent, you have got to be alert, aware. Your guard is up because you've got an enemy that he's got the crosshairs on your sons and daughters. Now, I'm not just trying, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just saying you're on guard. You're going to, Paul said, be on your guard. But the reality is we're distracted. I mean, it's Facebook. It's TikTok. It's, it's Instagram, it's, it's, it's Twitter, it's all the social media today. And, and, and I wrote this down, our technology has created addictive behaviors. This right here is literally creating addictive behaviors even in the life of men and women of God. There are some people who no longer can function without this. If this sucker gets down to 10%, you think their pacemaker and their heart is getting ready to go out. They're looking for a plug-in somewhere. They can't be separated from this. And it's the truth. And our enemy, the prince of the air, has been able to distract men and women of God keeping us from not being aware because we ourselves are so consumed with this. And he creates addictive behaviors. Binge watching, gaming, gambling now. It's right, hey, this is a computer at my fingertips. It's listening to me right now. And if I start talking to you about building a shed in my backyard, YouTube is going to come up in a few minutes and interrupt my train of thought with a YouTube video on how to build a shed. And for every mom with a little boy, I can tell you right now, she probably has an in a bikini when she's helping me build my shed to make sure that I look at the YouTube. Your enemy, the prince of the air, is trying to distract you and to keep you so you're not aware, you're not alert, you're not vigilant, you're not watchful. Why? I I had a man, I was counseling a man a few years ago, sat down in a restaurant, looked at me. This man used to tell me all the time, he used to tell me all the time, he said, I'm not worried about when I reach retirement. He said, uh, my grandmother could break the bank. She has so much money. He said, so me and my sister will be fine. And his dad was the only sibling. I mean, was the only child of his grandmother. And I'll never forget, we were sitting in a restaurant one day, looked at me, began to tear up and began to cry. And I said, man, what's wrong with you? He said, you know, my dad died. And I said, I knew that and I'd gone to the funeral. 
He said, but what we did not know, he had gambled the entire inheritance. He had gambled away the entire inheritance over the computer, time and time again gambling away. This right here is a tool of the enemy by which he can distract you and I. Technology has brought, listen to this. If Paul's saying, be aware, be on your guard, be alert, be vigilant. And hey, Peter said that. Peter said, listen, be aware, be alert, be vigilant, uh, be mindful that your enemy goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So your number one ability in keeping a godly life for not only yourself, but the people that are entrusted into you is you're keenly aware that you have an enemy out there and you can't turn your back on him for a moment. He's trying to get access into your life any way that he can. And he has found an unbelievable tool. A computer that I now can hold into my, in my hand. A computer now that can give me access to a lot of people's lives. Through Facebook, through Twitter, through Instagram, through TikTok. Let me tell you something. The sexual explicit material in here, no wonder we are falling apart sexually in this country today. Because sex sells everything. Like I said, I'm not going to see a video. Ladies, let me tell you, they know how to go after me. They know how to, go after, how to go after your husband. They know how to go after your boys. They just simply have a woman in a scamp bikini and a skimpy little outfit out there building the shed. And why are they doing that? Because they're advertising advertisement that is tied to it. Your enemy can distract you and I with a lot of means, and this is one of them. Technology today is distracting us. And I wrote down, secondly, technology's brought an, excess an accessibility to sin that diminishes us. In other words, now this can bring sin to my, at, at my fingertips. This is not when I was a boy, Playboy magazine. I remember the kid next door. He stole some cigarettes out of his mom's purse, and we sat out behind the house. We smoked a cigarette, and we looked at the centerfold on Playboy magazine. The centerfold on Playboy magazine when I was a boy is now PG-13. You don't think the enemy has the ability to begin to wear away at you and I? So the enemy, listen, the enemy is not only trying to distract us, technology's not only distracted us, it's given us accessibility to sin to the level that we start getting called up in habitual, behavioral, sinful habits that ultimately begin to affect our testimony, our witness, begin to break us down spiritually. Let me give you something to think about. Take a left and go over to Matthew 5.13. In Matthew 5.13, watch, watch, um, watch what Jesus said. The Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5.13, Jesus said this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. He said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under feet. You may say, well, how do I lose my saltiness? What does that mean, losing my saltiness? Well, it may be as simple as this. I start beginning to look and, and, and I begin to dabble 
in sinful habits that ultimately Satan is bringing into my life in order to break me down spiritually. What Satan is doing, he's after your saltiness. Well, how does he get to your saltiness? He gets you to begin, and I, to compromise our convictions. We begin to give into this carnal spirit. He's writing to a church at Corinth that was extremely carnal. We give in to worldliness. We give in to carnality. We begin to compromise our, our, uh, our convictions. I wrote down here, Christians today, listen to this, exhibit the same uncontrollable addictive behaviors as non-believers. In other words, what happens is this, technology has made sin easy. And it has made sin private. And people say, what does it hurt if I commit sin? It doesn't hurt anybody. It's a private matter. My friend, let me tell you something. Anytime sin is in our life, it's never a private matter. And, and what happens is this kind of technology has made the accessibility to sin unlike anything before. In other words, when I was a boy, stealing a pack of, taking a pack of cigarettes was one thing. That was number one. The second thing was being able to get hold of a penthouse, I mean a Playboy magazine. Where do you think we got the Playboy magazine? His dad. Where do you think his dad hid it? In between the mattresses. He knew where his dad hid the Playboy magazine. He went and got it, brought it out, smoked a cigarette, sat there and made our way through Playboy magazine, which today, again, would be about like PG-13, PG-14. It makes it hard for me to avoid sin. If I've got to be watchful, if I'm going to be on my guard, then I have to understand this. My enemy's coming at me with everything he's got. And what my enemy is after, what is the enemy after? Let me ask you this. What do you think the enemy's after? He's after everything. He loves for you and I to become addicted if he can get an addictive behavior, then before long we're so consumed and caught up in that behavior, we can't function. I'll never forget what uh, our pornography study, I remember what he said. You know what he said? He said, pornography takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time and a lot of attention. Whatever the addictive behavior is, it takes a lot of money and a lot of time, and it will always affect every part of your life. It breaks down everything in your life. There's a heavy cost. But what is Satan after? Take a left. Take a left from Matthew and from 1 Corinthians. Go over to Psalms. Look at Psalm 51. Everybody remember this story? King David. Remember King David? That's right, Bathsheba. You remember King, the Bible says, the writer of Kings says, he says when other kings and chronicles, when, when kings were going to war, in the springtime, when kings go to war, David remained at the palace. And you remember what he did at the palace? He was out one evening, looked out, saw a woman bathing. He looked at his servant and said, who is that? She said, his servant said, that's Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. He said, go get her for me. You remember he committed adultery. She became pregnant. She disclosed that to him rather than coming clean, rather than repenting of it. What did David do? Now, David had multiple wives, had multiple concubines. 
But David brought Uriah home, and when he couldn't convince him to sleep with his wife, he had him killed on the battlefield. And you may say, well, and, and, and you remember Nathan, the prophet, the Old Testament prophet, comes, he confronts David with that sin. He confronts him not only with the adulterous affair that he had with Bathsheba, but he confronts him with the killing of her husband Uriah because he had him killed. And after Nathan confronts David, you remember David writes the 51st Psalm. That's what he writes. He's under conviction. He's broken. Because Nathan, the prophets, confronted him. But I want you to look. What is, what is Satan after? Look at verse 12. Look at what David said. Restore to me what? The joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Restore to me what? What does it say there? Everybody look this way. What is your enemy Satan after? He's after the joy. David didn't say restore my salvation. That's why we believe in eternal security. I'm eternally secure. I, I am eternally secure in the finished work of Christ on that cross. Okay? I'm eternally secure. So Satan cannot steal my salvation. Now everybody listen, but he can steal the joy of it. When you and I begin to live in habitual disobedience, when we give in to the enemy, when we give in to the devil, when we begin to, to allow him to distract us, to pull us toward addictive behaviors, when we become called up, consumed in some of the things that come across this, even this phone right here, the reality is, is he's after one thing in your life as a believer. He wants your joy because joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And if you quench the Holy Spirit, which means you're trying to put the fire out, and you and I grieve the Holy Spirit, which means we habitually get called up in sin, then we give the enemy the access. We're not, being, we're not being alert, vigilant, watchful. We're simply saying to the enemy, hey, some of us are saying to the enemy, come on in. And for all those people who arrogantly look at pornography and look at men's struggle with sexual sin, gaming is a sin. If sitting there playing mindlessly one game after another and being addicted to it, you are as captive and you're as sick as a man on pornography. And if you're gambling away everything, then you're sick as a man or woman. And women are having problems now too with pornography. And let me tell you something. If you can't function without Facebook, you are addicted to it and it's a sin. You and I have been called to be watchful. Paul said it again in verse 13. He said, be on your guard. Why? Because we are battling with an enemy. That's what Satan's after. Now, third, technology will interfere with our task, with our mission. Let me ask you something. And ledge hope it don't mess you up. But I want you to think with me now. For those that are older in this room, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Years ago, when you didn't have these, you sat, you went, let's say you go to the doctor's office, you're not feeling good, or your wife's having a baby and you're going for a checkup. You go and sit down in the doctor's office. At best, you had an old, out-of-date magazine sitting next to you at best that was it you didn't even have tv you're just sitting there 
What did you do? Hey, uh, you feeling bad? Yeah. I'm kind of sick and I hadn't felt good. Well, I, man, I hadn't felt good. Well, hey, where do you live? Oh, I live down here at so-and-so. Uh, well, you know uh, and what happens. You start building a relationship. I remember when Sheila was pregnant one time with one of the four. I remember, listen, I had all the same symptoms she had. I had lower back pain. I had morning sickness. I mean, we were both one in one bathroom, one in the other. We, I, I'm just, I was too empathetic. And I'll never forget, we, I carried her to the doctor, OBGYN, and we walked in, and this is no joke. You watch a pregnant woman when they're real big, they put their hand back there, and they let themselves down. And I didn't even realize it, but I was having lower back pain so bad. Philip, I looked like somebody had been doing your kind of work. And I, I put my hand back there, and we both went down together. We weren't even aware of it. And everybody in the waiting room just died laughing. And guess what happened? We had a conversation in the whole waiting room. Let me tell you what happened to us. The children of God are so distracted with this now. We have been so duped by our enemy, prince of the air, with technology. We don't have time to do what God's called us to do anymore. We don't have time to be about the Great Commission. We don't have time to carry on a conversation. We don't have time to find out where people are hurting, what they may be going through. We don't have time for none of that because we're too busy dabbling with whether so-and-so had oatmeal for breakfast or not. We're sitting there looking at some of the stupid information on Facebook and so consumed with social media. Your enemy, Satan, will do whatever he can to distract you and I to keep us from doing what God told us to do. He told us this. He said, you are to be about the salvation of lost people and then you're, about, you're to be about the sanctification of those people. And the truth of the matter is now you sit down in a restaurant and you'll see two people, they don't even speak one word to each other. They sit there and look at that the whole time. You see a mom sitting there, what's the first thing the mom does? She hands it off to Junior, he sits there consumed with it. They don't have no conversation at all. You see it, hey, nowadays, you're riding along in a vehicle and buddy, that sucker, the kids are either looking at it or they got a big one hanging up there. And guess what, the, guess what the automotive industry's done? They now are going to put internet in your vehicle for a price. Oh, we're moving toward a one world government. Oh, we're moving in the last days. If nothing else, because we've given the enemy the ability to spy on us in a way we've never spied before. Sheila and I endlessly battle with some of the apps and the things that come up on, a, on, a, on our TVs now in an attempt to try to bring back, cut back the rating or do this or do that. There's some of the most stupid things they do now. Some of the things that are put at PG-13, PG-14 that would not have been in Playboy magazine. And ladies, I'm going to tell you something. He may look like a saint and you may think he doesn't have that problem, but for most men, the struggle with sexual addiction, sexual sin is an ongoing battle in his life. And sometimes, lady, you're, ladies, you're the only one that can protect. And if you're raising boys and you think they're just too good not to be dealing with it, you get ready. It's coming. Paul said to this church at Corinth, which was carnal, he said, be on your guard. Why? Because you've got an enemy. And i tell you what, what I'm going to do. It's, it's Memorial Day weekend. I'm, I'm going to stop here. Because I wanted to get to the next one, stand firm in the faith. 
But I'm here to tell you, and please listen, you have an enemy. I have an enemy. He studies you. Satan studies you and I in a way trying to figure out any access to our life and to those that we love. Mom, he's not trying to get to you. He's trying to get to you. He's trying to get to something far more valuable than even your own life. I watched a little while ago, Emma Grace, my granddaughter was standing there. And I looked at her at one point and she was singing the words of the praise and the worship songs. And I was just sitting there watching her singing those words. And what are we doing? We're trying to instill into her little life at a young age the principles of scripture, spiritual walk. And sometimes when I take her to school, I'll see that little hand when I got the radio playing, I'll see that little hand go up in my rear view mirror. As shy as she is, she's beginning to grapple with the only one that's going to get me through this life is my Lord Jesus Christ. And she will understand that she has an enemy in time. And what protects her from that spiritual enemy that would come into her life is right there. Because sometimes she's not aware. She's so innocent, she's not aware of what the enemy may be trying to do to get into her life. You and I have an enemy. Let me close with this. We've got people that are on vacation this week. Maybe hopefully they'll watch later on. A lot of them will go to Destin. They go to the ocean. They go to the beach. I love the beach. I love the ocean. But now for every single man, it's unbelievable. Ledge said that when they went down a few weeks ago, he said, I felt like I was in Sodom and Gomorrah. He said it was absolutely the dress and the profanity was beyond anything I could even imagine. He said we were miserable. I was talking to Eric Seals. They went to the Ozarks, and I said, what I love about the Ozarks, unlike the Smokies, it's not as commercialized. He said it was so quiet, so peaceful. But when you go to the ocean, I grew up. I grew up in Florida. I can remember the NASA, the Cape. They used to have a beach that NASA owned for security. And all NASA employees and their families could go there. They had bought even the homes that were along there. Old deserted homes, we'd go in them. But it had, the Atlantic had some waves. I mean, it had some waves. And I remember when I was a boy going out there, and man, them waves would hit me and just tumble me. Some I can remember, I can, still, I can see one even now that scared me. Sometimes my dad say, son, come on. And man. He put me up there, and my dad was a big old healthy guy back then, worked for NASA, and he'd take me out there in, that, in those waves. And man, I'd be shaking. Sorry, son. He'd turn, wave, big wave come in, he'd turn, kind of protect me. Let me tell you, parent, listen. When you're out there and that, that, that tide is going back and forth, trying to rip your feet out from under you, you don't care if you get waylaid by wave. You don't care if it takes you under. You know in your adult years you'll get back up. You'll figure it out. You know, outside of riptide, it doesn't matter. But if you're holding a child, if you're holding another life, 
that's depending on you and loves you, then your feet are going to be much firmer. You're not going to get to a place that you no longer lose control. Why? Because this life that I'm holding in my hands is dependent upon me. Paul said this to the church at Corinth in the very last part of this letter. He said, be on your guard. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you and Lord, we love you and we praise you. And Lord, we know that we have an enemy and Paul would spend a lot of times, even times in Ephesians where he went into great detail talking about how to stand against that enemy with the helmet of salvation, shield of faith that would quench the fiery darts of the enemy. Lord, we know that Paul was saying to this church at Corinth who was very carnal, very worldly, whose membership was very much out of control, Paul was telling them to get back where you need to be. You're going to have to recognize that you need to be on your guard. You're going to have to recognize that you need to be watchful and vigilant. You need to be aware. You need to be alert. Because your adversary, the devil, Satan, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So Lord, I pray today, I pray for every parent, the sound of my voice, it doesn't matter whether they're small children or teenagers. It doesn't even matter if they're adult children how important it is that we recognize that the enemy, the spiritual enemy, that darkness seeks to come into the life of our children. It's our responsibility as grandparents and parents, as church members, as leaders, as deacons, staff, as pastor, to protect those children. mom came up to me last Sunday she was smiling as she always does and her little boy with her and she said brother Jeff she said he always prays for you she said this past week he said as he was doing we were doing our devotion said he looked up and said I've got Jesus in my heart and I've got brother Jeff on my back in my back watching my back somebody near said that's cute I said no that's not cute that scares me oh God please don't let me disappoint that little boy so we pray dear Lord that you speak to every heart and there's somebody here that doesn't know you today that they would be saved give their life to you repent of their sin Turn their life over to you. If there are people here that may be struggling with some stronghold of the enemy, they've, they've not been alert, they've not been watchful. The enemy crept in and has begun to take them captive. Some that may be watching right now who may, dear Lord, be caught up in an addictive behavior with a phone or with a computer that they desperately need to be set free from. The first step is to acknowledge that it is in fact a sin and a problem. Lord, we'll give you the glory and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.